Our conversation today will be taking a little bit more of a global perspective on higher education, uh, which will be kind of a refreshing take uh, since you know so much of what we cover on this show uh, historically has been U.S.-based. So you know, there's definitely a lot going on, uh, sort of global trends that, that I think are certainly relevant and impactful in the U.S. and kind of you know whether it's coming from here and exporting out to the rest of the world or you know impacting us uh, from countries all around the the planet. So uh, we'll be talking about all that, but, you know, talking about digital tools and um, change management and just looking ahead to the future, I think 2023 will be a very interesting year. So we're we're definitely spending a lot of time talking with a lot of uh, different folks on kind of what their trend lines they're following. So uh, with all that, we will start as we always do, uh, have our guests introduce themselves and give a brief overview of their professional background and how they got to be where they are today. Uh, well, thank you so much, Dustin, for, for having me on the show, and it's lovely to be with you and your listeners. Um, I'm Catherine Friday. I'm based in Melbourne, Australia. I am a managing partner at EY, um, and one, in one of my roles, I get to lead our global education practice, which is something I love. I love doing very much, um, and I've been I've been with EY since uh, 2002, so since the collapse of Anderson, all that very long time ago. I've been in professional services all my life and have spent the vast bulk of that time supporting the work of government and public sector agencies and over the last decade and a half of that very much focusing in on the work of um, education delivery both in higher education but also further and um, strongly in uh, K-12 as well and it's as I said it's really lovely to be with you today. Thanks for uh, joining from, you know, halfway around the world. And uh, like I said, it'll definitely be a refreshing perspective for uh, our conversation here today, just to have you in with your unique experience. Because I think also just to contextualize it for folks like EY and the work it does in education, I think if you want to just give a brief explanation of that, because I know, you know, for me, it's not something that I, like, I'm just kind of generally aware of, of like, yeah, there's players and, you know, they do consulting or this or that or whatever. So yeah, if you want to kind of contextualize, you know, EY in general, the work they do in education Mm. and maybe how you your role particularly fits in. So EY, as listeners probably know, is a huge global professional services firm. So we do management consulting. We have a legal division. We obviously have a genesis in auditing and accounting um, provision and financial support services. We do mergers and transactions. We do strategy advice. We have data analytics. We have cyber teams. We do space tech. And it's fair to say that everything that we do on any given day of the week, we will be doing for an education provider somewhere around the world. And when I say education provider, I mean the whole cradle to grave gamut of it. So starting with early learning, we've got people who focus in on the early learning um, sector. Then we do K to 12, both public and private. Um, Then we do um, further education or vocational as it's it's, uh, termed in my part of the world um, and higher education as well. In fact, higher education is probably about half of everything that we do, both public and private. And then we are also doing Um, a huge amount of work um, in supporting workforce um, transition and transformation. So really ongoing learning and development and change of um, workforces um, around the world and helping uh, people rapidly uh, reskill for what it is their jobs are demanding of them and asking of them um, and supporting the change management journey around that as well. So we are likely to pop up in all manner of places, in all manner of countries, doing all manner of things. Yeah, that's great. And I guess like part of me is a little bit surprised that like higher ed is, you know, so much of your work. Cause I think there are a lot of spaces where it's not just because like, you know, 
so like you know in america i guess like you know k through 12 just takes up a lot more kind of physical space the number of students they serve and all that kind of stuff and the duration of the time that they're being served and everything you know like you're saying like workforce development you know typically is sort of leveraging higher ed you know so it's like you know if you go through getting a four-year degree that can be a way to you know uplift your career and your life and those sort of things Mm -hmm. but where you're working you may be rescaling through a provider Mm -hmm. you know that's supported in some way you know by a higher ed institution so i guess as i as i sort of talk you know talk it out and sort of think (laughs) out loud i'm like yeah i guess yeah you know half and half does feel kind of right um absolutely uh, absolutely and and uh, dustin is as you would know as well as anyone um a four-year degree is sort of no longer the sort of the the beginning and the end of you know of of most people's foray into post-secondary education um it's part of it but it's increasingly it's just the first part of what will become lots of points of um interaction and, and ongoing um learning experiences that people have well even increasingly beyond their formal work life as well and so that is something that we are both supporting our clients in it's also something that we're doing quite a bit of um, within the firm as well and I guess you know that just that fact raises sort of the, the interesting point that people are no longer looking purely to you know sort of the pure higher ed providers for their you know sort of lifelong learning experiences but within the firm we offer um, hundreds of badges or micro-credentials um, to, to our people. Um, and we now also offer three MBAs. Um, and we're not obviously the only professional services firm or employer to be doing that as well. So I guess we are sort of living proof of that growing diversity um, in the many, many ways in which people can continue um, their education. And it's no longer just sort of the, the, the um, pure remit of the academy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, yeah, I mean, just so much happening, like you said, with like the four-year degree being this sort of, you know, end-all, be-all thing, like you said, mm-hmm. where, you know, you've seen a lot of uh, companies and even now sort of like state governments and things saying like, you know, we're not just sort of like by a default setting kind of thing, like requiring a four-year degree just because, I don't know, it's just, you know, the way we've always done it or, you know, the best measure we have of like, that's a qualified person who's going to be reliable. And it's like, yeah, maybe like, you know, there, there could be other ways, whether it's, you know, certificates or yeah, like badges or you went through a boot camp exactly program right. or all these different things. So, um, and yeah, even just, I think, yeah, we've seen that trend line too of like, uh, different organizations on sort of a spectrum, I guess, of their sort of, uh, involvement with like helping to create like curriculum. So it's like, Hey, you know, AWS or Google or whatever, like we're sort of, you know, helping to uh, create the courses to, you know, equip people the skills that we want, you know, Mm. so it's obviously like not altruistic entirely, but like it does help people to, uh, you know, gain skills that will give them gainfully employing uh, jobs and everything. And that's what Mm. I think about a lot is like, if you pursue things like that, you know, you get a couple badges or something in these really marketable skills, you could start working at a place that could then fund you because it's like, yeah, I've always wanted to get my bachelor's degree or my MBA or whatever else. It's like get to a place that can help support you, whether it is explicitly like, yeah, we're paying your tuition entirely or even just subsidizing it or giving you a lifestyle that is conducive to even being able to study and be successful in your studies and those sort of things. So there's definitely, yeah, just a lot there of, you know, almost everybody kind of chipping in and doing their part to try to facilitate just a diversity of options, you know, uh, uh, for people to further their learning, like you said, you know, throughout their life. 
I think that's exactly right. And sort of then we talk a lot about sort of the blurring of industry boundaries. So the um, creation of uh, learning content is no longer sort of purely the domain of the academy. And if you like, the, the customers of, um, of graduates are no longer just employers. Uh, but exactly to your point, you know, Google, AWS, uh, you, know, um, you know, many companies here in Australia are all, uh, we're all developing our own um, curriculum. Some of that in concert with um, with the academy some of it on our own and then actually asking for the academy to come in and formally accredit some of the content that we've developed um, and we're also developing content like some of our own own modules um, and like in our case some of our modules of graduate learning we are then giving to particular higher education providers and they are incorporating into their own undergraduate degree so there's a lot of sharing of content um, all around the place which I guess just goes to speak about how um, how quickly the whole teaching and learning ecosystem particularly in higher ed not exclusively but particular particularly in higher ed um, is just adapting and changing and how much of that is also then enabled by digital as well where you don't have to take you know a lecturer you know a specific lecturer and fly them around the world you know to to see a whole bunch of students um, or you don't just have to have within you know within each university not every single you know lecturer of accounting 101 needs to create all of their course content from scratch um, it's really easy to share uh, amazing world-class high-quality content at increasingly reduced cost with students wherever on the planet they might happen to be Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and that's like just something I wanted to kind of like bold and underline and all that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, sort of what you're getting at is like, you know, and this is sort of, you know, open-ended in the sense of like not really being specific about one thing, but uh, my mind is just, you know, thinking of many sort of implications or manifestations of this, but, uh, you know, how institutions can be more inclusive through mm-hmm. digital tools. So again, that's a very mm-hmm. sort of broad, vague question. So take it as you will, but I'm thinking, you know, yeah. there are just a lot of things around, you know, yeah, the pace, the modality, and like you said, just sort of, uh, you know, the, like how the content is delivered, you know, if it is just like, mm. this is a way that we found really effective to teach mm. English 101 or something, it's like, well, that's going to be more supportive for more people to like to learn it because it's like being taught well, mm. you know, and, and uh, given a lot of perhaps like support structures or things like that. So just, yeah, just any of your kind of thoughts around, you know, how mm. digital tools are helping institutions be more inclusive of more learners. It's an awesome question, Dustin, and I reckon there's probably a PhD in it um, for someone. So I would probably start by saying that um, the, the the use of digital itself uh, has so much diversity and variety in it. You're like almost starting from um, students being able to access digital content um, on their own, on their uh, in their own time that sort of self-paced learning which might be appropriate for um, mature age students or you know students who have previously had formal sort of teaching and learning experiences and don't want or don't require or potentially can't actually afford um, you know, teaching and learning experiences that are more more hands-on, more that, and that, that involve more face time, you know, all the way through to, um, if you like, something that we might consider to be a more traditional um, classroom experience, but that is enhanced with digital content that lecturers or teachers 
guide students to and is used to both supplement and complement um, in, in classroom teaching time. And in that model, we're seeing um, increasingly in um, uh, some of our premium higher education providers, uh, the sort of the, the, the genesis of what's being sort of t- called the flipped classroom, whereas instead of having, you know, a teacher or a lecturer at the, at the front of the room, um, disseminating knowledge widely and expecting everyone to, you know, madly scribble it down or type it down, um, there's actually instead it's sort of an increasing shift to um, expecting students to read, learn, um, absorb knowledge um, and content that they're guided to, a lot of which can be digitally enhanced before they even get into the classroom. So that by the time they get into the classroom, the time there is spent in a much more Socratic style of teaching and learning, discourse, dialogue, challenge, debate. And so if you like taking the best of modern technology with the the availability and, and support of digital content, and taking the best of um, much older but proven styles of teaching and learning where there is rich student engagement with teachers and researchers um, and, and, and putting those together, I said, almost in a, in a, in a premium experience for students um, and having you know, the student experience digitally really supported through uh, recommendations of uh, bespoke um, support around what, you know, what it is they're wanting to either extend themselves into or are struggling with a little bit um, in terms of the content that they're acquiring um, as well. Obviously, with digital, there's also much richer and better support available um, for students who come with a diversity of different um, experiences and needs. So whether it is things like um, voice to text or the other way around, whether it is translating into multiple languages in real time, um, you know, whether it is, in, again, in real time, providing um, access to uh, greater support resources and deeper um, content resources to to help students who might be struggling with the content um, in the speed in which it's being delivered, all of which is just amazing and provides for a much richer, more diverse um, range of uh, experiences for students in the higher ed environment and increasingly in K-12 as well, as some of these technologies are picked up in in school as well. Of course, that's just what it means um, from the perspective of teaching and learning. There is also the rich use of digital for those who are lecturing or teaching themselves and um, the great way that student analytics allows for teachers to um, have a much greater understanding of the learning journeys, the learning trajectories of each student within the cohort that they're teaching as well. And so being able to step in and offer much more bespoke support um, around some of those, uh, either again, you know, sort of either end of the bell curve of, of what's going on um, in their classroom or, or what's going on in their lecture theatre and to really be able to nail that down. Um, and at its best, uh, digital, particularly tools like AI, are just awesome at taking care of very menial, mundane um, administrative uh, requirements and obligations that teachers and lecturers have to, have to deal with um, as part of their, you know, just as as part of their on-campus responsibilities as well. So whether it's dealing with FAQs or having standardised responses to emails, those sorts of things. So uh, I I guess that's that's kind of like a a thesis 
this in a nutshell, Dustin, the, the applications of digital in the education context are, are rich and broad and varied. Um, and I know that, you know, sometimes people can get a little antsy about what all the changes mean and is moving away from what we've always done and the way we've always done it necessarily in the best interests of students. But I've got to say, based on my experiences and observations, overwhelmingly, the answer is yes. Let's play a game. What keywords does your website rank for? What doesn't it rank for that you think it should? What are a few opportunities you could be winning on if you tweaked some website copy? Okay, how'd you do? Not great? That's okay. Because our friends at DD Agency want to answer all of those questions for you and then some. DD Agency is a higher ed specific marketing technology agency that has conducted countless SEO audits for colleges and universities across the country. In these audits, they detail where you currently rank, what you could be ranking for, exactly how copies should be tweaked on website pages, and much more. If this sounds like something you could benefit from, give those folks a ping and be sure to mention that Enrollify sent you to claim a 10% discount on any of their SEO offerings. Head on over to enrollify.org slash DDASEO or simply follow the link in the show notes below that will guarantee you a 10% discount off of your audit. Again, Head on over to enrollify.org slash D-D-A-S-E-O to learn more. Now, on to the show. Yeah, well, a couple of thoughts there, just sort of reflecting what you're saying is that, like, I think there, the sort of way that you thread this needle is, like, balancing really intentionally uh, that idea, like you said, where, like, there might be, like, hesitancy around this technology or for a variety of reasons, but, like, I think the formula that you want is, like, augmenting the stuff that like is really important like you said the teaching where it's like okay let's have the teacher do what they do best and sort of you know supplement them and sort of uh yeah like focus on discussions and really you know affirming people's knowledge and answering like kind of really uh deeper questions and then like it could Mm. technology and different digital tools could then like replace the mundane things that waste a lot of time that you could sort of just build up a knowledge base for a chat bot to you know Mm answer a question around like how do i do this thing on the learning management system or something it's just like all right chatbot's there i can give you that answer really quick and give you like you know a help guide and the you know uh with more details or something but um and yeah like you know students with that like flipped model it's like things like that where it's like that's not like a super new idea we're just getting better at doing it and then like a lot of these things are just like proliferating more like you said like even getting into k through 12 and just like you know a lot of the naysayers i'm sure are just finally sort of like okay i think you know i've been sort of you know persuaded here or whatever and now we're, you know you're seeing just so many more successful use cases of uh things like that you know just the teaching philosophies or different digital tools so um yeah so i think it's a really interesting moment and i think certainly from your perspective where you might be sort of relaying a lot of this you know data and research or you know best practices and things like what is your advice for overseeing like change management with all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff because i think that's just going to continue to be sort of a rippling out of whether it is these things or just more ai or you know uh, digital education options or something just Mm -hmm. like there's still i think a lot of ground to sort of be uh, sort of gained or kind of residue to be kind of chipped away and different things like that. So just general perspectives you have on sort of navigating uh, change management. 
And it's such a such a good question, Justin. And um, change change in any context in any sector is often hard. You know, people psychologically don't don't love change. And if what we're doing is is you know what we've always done, and it seems to be working more or less most of the time, um, getting people to change is hard. In higher education, it is particularly hard. You know, higher education providers around the world have a long history. You know, often of centuries of doing pretty much the same thing in pretty much the same way and have done it proudly and with great effect. And so really the, the, for us and, and our observation is there, there are a couple of things that you've got to get right in order for the change to be successful. The first is absolutely to keep humans at the centre of the discussion around change. Why are we changing and for whom and how will it make human experience better? Whether we're talking about student experience or whether we're talking about um, uh, a teacher or lecturer experience, how are we actually proposing to make the experience better? And, and, and what will the lived experience of that be on the other side of the change? So it can't be a discussion about technology. Technology is, um, technology is just an enabler for improving human human condition and human experience. And so we have to keep that front and centre of our, of our, of our narrative. Um, and then we also need to actually link it to the broader purpose um, of the, you know, of the provider as well. You know, higher education providers exist to create and to share knowledge. So being really clear on how adopting and disseminating digital is actually going to make the creation and dissemination and sharing of knowledge better and richer, um, how it will be able to create um, greater ripples across um, greater populations of people, how it will you know, potentially support things like the UN um, SDG4, which is all around access to, you know, you know, equitable access to high quality education for all, you know, you know for, for, for all lifelong learners around the world. Is this something that we take seriously? Is this something that we're committed to? So what is, what is the higher purpose um, around which we are changing? And we find, again, probably not surprisingly, particularly in um, higher education providers, when the narrative around change, when the impetus for change is founded in people and is founded in purpose, it becomes easier. The other thing that then needs to follow up a lot from that is supporting the leader's to enable the change as well. You know, it's not just a matter of flicking out a couple of emails or whacking something on a bulletin board or having a coffee and giving everyone a new mug that says, we love change or whatever it is. You know, it's got to really be um, supported work to take leaders to places they haven't been before themselves either. And we all know as leaders, it's incredibly challenging to try and lead with authenticity and integrity when you're being asked to go somewhere that you've never been and you're not necessarily sure you will like when you get there. So spending a lot of time with the leadership teams on uh, on helping them to understand and, and buy into and genuinely champion where we're going and why we're going there is critically important as well. So in a lot of work with our leadership teams, that you know, that's absolutely where we focus on the people and on the purpose and on supporting the leadership teams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love to hear that because I think it's it's like the simple thing of like, you know, knowing your why, you know, that's just kind of a, a, exactly. a kind of a catchy, you know, catchy phrase that's been around for a while, but mm. like it deserves to be sort of like reiterated mm. and just like remind people of it. Cause it's like, okay, like, why are we doing this? Cause it could be like, you're going down a path and it's like, hold on, get like, 
why are we doing that? Like, what? Like, why are we and just like reminding exactly. me, like, okay, yeah, that, that, and like, let's keep going, let's keep going, or being like, okay, actually, that's not like, you know, as important as maybe we thought it was, like, because like things have changed, you know, just depending on how long it took us to get to like halfway there, it could be like, well, actually, maybe let's like divert over here because we are seeing a different needs pop up or something. But yeah, and you want to like take care and be empathetic and considerate of people and their experience, like, you know, navigating through that change and having it be something that uh, will be beneficial to them. And just that consideration of like students, faculty and staff, like you want to try to keep all of yes. them as happy as possible. So to like, you know, uh, that's, that's definitely uh, worthwhile to be mentioned as well. But uh, yeah, I think it, it's, even that idea where like, I, I was wondering if you were going to be like, and like, you need a really like clear plan or path and all that. And it's like, maybe like, that's not as necessary as some of those other things. Yeah. It's like, if you had like, I'm thinking of like the metaphor, it's like at least like a dotted line of like, we know we want to get over there. We think, cause again, it's like, we've never been here before. We don't know, like, we know where yeah. we want to go, but we've never gotten there. So it's like, we think generally we're going to be going this way, but like, that's part of it is I think not thinking that it has to be a very rigid thing and if it's like we're not hitting this yeah. then we've failed and we gotta bail out and quit or whatever it's like you know be flexible and knowledgeable that like yeah you could zigzag your way all the way up to that sort of peak that goal that you want to get to and like that's okay because like it could just again be that idea where like throughout that journey you know any number of variables could affect you know which path you're taking that's exactly right. not knowing that it's like an yep. important goal yeah that's exactly right. And that's why I think, as I said, for us, having the humans at the center. So remembering why we're doing this, because if we weren't trying to improve human experience in some way, we wouldn't even be talking about it. So, you know, what, um, so, you know, what, what is the human experience that we're trying to, to, to improve, whether it is the, the, the students or whether it is academics or both, you know, so, so what is that? Who are we wanting to reach with, with, with what it is we're doing? And again, why? And I think you're exactly right. If we've got those ideas in, a, in our heads, then A, it makes it easier to, uh, to deal with the, the stressful stuff when it comes up because there will be stressful stuff because there always is when you start to do any, anything new. But it does also mean that you've got that um, flexibility and adaptability and I think the resilience in what you're doing because you know where you're going, but if you strike a big rock or a swamp, then you just go around it. You're not just going to sit there and stare at it and lose all hope. I mean, just, you know, you, you, you haven't lost the sense of, um, you know, why you're actually on this journey. Um, in the first place so so that's that that's really what we focus on and you're right to a degree you do need a plan but it's always got to be a plan with a degree of flex built built in and to give people comfort that there is the flex and the resilience built into it as well so you know we're not just going to you know railroad you through this process and expect you to love every single minute of it we know that's not how humans roll. Um, and you know, again, if we're not if we're not keeping our students at the centre of our thinking, if we're not engaging with them, if we're not engaging with leaders around the university, if we're not engaging with faculty and and the corporate teams, then the whole thing's just going to crash and burn really early on. So it, it, it's it's got to be it's got to be humans at the centre, and and then we figure everything else out from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, just that point of like humans at the center, there's a lot of implications of that. And I think it, a discussion for another day of just like, again, yes. like a, a change management <laughs> thing could be very in depth, but yeah, just being empathetic of like, yeah, like people's feedback and people's input and all those sort of things. So um, mm. yeah, very, very glad to hear that uh, kind of being integral to, uh, you know, the way that y'all do things. But uh, 
for the sake of time, I did want to make sure, because I feel like just obviously in your position, I'm sure that you're just absorbing so much, you know, kind of knowledge and uh, research and different things. So um, if there's any resources that you feel like would be super important yeah. just around kind of just, you know, whether it is like global higher education, kind of, you know, digital education or, you know, the variety of different tools and uh, technologies mm. or whatever um, has been catching your eye lately. But uh, yeah, resources that we could uh, put in the show notes. Podcasts like your own, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big listener to podcasts. Um, a couple from Australia that may not necessarily be well known to your to your listeners. One that I love um, is a podcast called um, uh, the, the Mind Field, uh, and it's hosted by Waleed Ali and Scott Stevens. Um, and so yeah, that's that's produced by the um, Australian Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and I love it because it takes a look at a lot of the stuff that's going on. And it could be in tech or in geopolitics and really starts to unpack a lot of the um, ethical issues that, that are sitting underneath that. One that they did recently that I thought was really interesting and might be of interest to your listeners um, was a podcast that it was titled, What is Generative AI Doing to Our Capacity to Write and Think? Um, which, of course, is in a sort of super, super topical at the moment. And one that they did sort of the week before that was titled, What Does It Mean to Be Literate? And is that under threat? Um, so they just sort of pick up some, some of these ideas and talk about them, often with guests, sometimes just between the two of them. But, yeah, they, 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 they cover, cover a lot of ground um, doing, doing that sort of thing. Um, so that's definitely one that I would recommend. Um, a book that I am about two thirds of the way through reading and was just released last week and might be of interest to some of your listeners as well is called The New Learning Economy, Thinking Beyond Higher Education. Um, and that's by Martin Betts and Michael Roseman. I said that's a and that that's a new release, and it really looks at uh, like again sort of the, the historical factors that gave rise to the creation of higher ed systems, um, and what is their relevance and purpose now, and and um, and and what should we be expecting from higher ed in the future, and what are sort of the various uh, uh, meta um, social and economic forces at play. Um, around that as well, um, and just for fun, something that I something that I listen to, and again might be of interest to some of your listeners, is a fabulous podcast that's well loved here in Australia. That's called Chat Ten Looks Three. And that's um, uh, between uh, Annabelle Crabb and Lee Sales. They are both storied Australian journalists um, and cover many, many topics, including books um, in, in what they talk about um, and focus not infrequently on matters of um, education, but also broad social policy um, as well. So those, those would probably be three things that I'd be yeah, very glad to share. Yeah, just thinking where this where it's like, yeah, sometimes we are being influenced by global events or just trends and then like vice versa. So just knowing kind of like oh, what's going on, you know, in other parts of the world, because like I think especially now in, in ed tech and higher ed, like you're just seeing um, some ascendant global players and things. So, mm. you know, again, there's certain best practices and things that are going on. And if it's just kind of the competitiveness and you're seeing different companies entering uh you know, new spaces and bringing something different and all that. It's just good to be mindful of just sort of like, you know, things that could be impactful either like very soon or, you know, far into the yeah. future where it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember hearing about that, like, you know, uh, months or years ago or something. So um, we can- That's exactly right. And sometimes stuff. in completely different um, contexts, which is great. And then you see kind of how it, how it all knits together. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, we always like to end just as sort of a final thought or call to action just for you to kind of have the opportunity to wrap everything up. Because I think this is a great conversation just generally, like like you said, with like the book and everything, like a new learning economy and all that, where like, in my mind, I think all of this can be a part of a beautiful ecosystem together with a lot more on-ramps for people to, you know, get stackable credentials and all this kind of stuff versus just like everybody kind of cramming into, you know, trying to get a four-year degree. So, you know, with all of that we've talked about so far, um, obviously, a lot more to discuss, but we're, we're just wrapping it up yeah. here. Just final thoughts, calls to action, or, you know, just ways maybe for folks to keep the conversation going. Yeah, thank you so much, Dustin. And I think for me, sort of the, the, the key sort of motivating or inspiring thought around all of this right now is that for the first time ever, we actually have within our grasp the ability to deliver on one of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And that is obviously goal number four, which is around having global access to high quality education for all for, for all of the world's students. And so many of the UN SDGs are bold and lofty ambitions, but we're still some ways off being able to, to achieve them. But the education one is within our grasp. Um, and that is because of the, the enormous amount of um, incredibly high quality content that's available um, combined with digital access combined with um, so much um, you know transition and fluidity between population centers um, around the world as well so I guess for for me the the, the call out to, to all of our listeners is to really think about how how we can how we can tick that one off how how, how can we with our collective resources and talents and access to um, to digital Digital and other sources of um, delivering and disseminating um, amazing teaching and learning content. Make sure that anyone anywhere in the world who has a passion to learn has that passion satisfied. Beautiful sentiment to end on. I love the optimism. Yeah, for these these lofty goals, and they're important ones, they're necessary ones, and yeah, like I said, we kind of know that we have kind of the tools to uh, you know achieve uh, that particular goal now and um yeah so i just appreciate you uh sharing all your expertise and uh, some great resources and for uh taking some time uh early in your neck of the woods uh, uh to have this conversation just thank you so much for your time pleasure thank you so much dustin appreciate the opportunity Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.